Hey everyone, I know we usually use this part of the podcast for a, a main spoiler, but I just need to make an announcement. Um, we're going to be shutting down the feed on Tuesdays and Thursdays to let Spoiler Man spend some time outside. <laughs> so without further delay, here's Ready Player One. That was good. This is Spoiler Spoiler Man. What? And you'll be in a world of your imagination take a look and you'll see into your imagination we'll begin with a spin We got Pat Kelly and Mikey Toller on the podcast. Two potentially opposing viewpoints of this Steven Spielberg uh, blockbuster, I guess you could call it. Classic. Classic. Yeah. Big budget, (laughs) big budget Spielberg. Yeah. YA adoption. I'm on on, uh, Parsville's side here. I'm willing to fight for the Oasis. (laughs) Well, it's, I guess, yeah, we don't really need to introduce the movie. I think if you're listening to it at this point, you know kind of the general outline. You got Wade Watts. He's in a video game. He's got to find some keys to win over the Oasis. Pat, you've read the book, so we'll give you the, the floor to beginning. What do you think of Ready Player One? Oh, man, I love this movie. I know Mikey didn't, but uh, I'll first off, I'll say it's very, very different from the book. But for me, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I like both of them for what they are. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's super fun. It... it reminded me of that old school Spielberg magic. It's just like, it's a good reminder of why I love going to the movies. Did you have a favorite intellectual property that you saw on the screen? Was there something that you're like, Oh, Ooh, I was, I was going to save that. Okay. I was going to save that question for the end. All right, but So let me think about well, it. Yeah. I'll let you think about that. And then on the counterpoint, we have the man who hates everything. <laughs> you know, him. you love him. Mikey Tiller. what do you think about ready player one? Uh, I mean, I didn't read the books or anything. So I, I want Pat to, like, explain, I guess, the plot of both. I would like to know which one he thought is better, because I did not... Don't worry, I took a whole bunch of notes of just the differences. Excellent. Okay, yeah, because I... When I got out of this movie, I was, like, so... I was, like, so fucking drunk on, like, two and a half hours of what the fuck did I just watch, because it was, like, seizure and and CGI for two and a half hours, and I, I... Came out of there confused as what I just saw. Uh, it looked cool, but I I thought the story was garbage. Man, you got Honestly. that right. It's it's a damn long movie, two and a half hours. It is long. It is long. Yeah, for a while. Which is like almost standard for any movie now, which is a little ridiculous. A little bit, yeah. I was getting kind of bored. I saw it in IMAX, but it didn't have like those reclining seats. So as cool as the screen was, I was like, damn, I wish I could like lay down right now and take a nap or something. <laughs> See, I'm like I'm hit or miss on those. I actually saw it, I saw it last night again, and we had the recliner seat, and that was the first time I haven't, like, almost fell asleep, because, like, I get too comfy in those, and then I just pass out, but maybe that's an attest to the movie. Well, that's the thing. But I'm also a big fan, so. 
I'll say this about the recliner seats too, is that what makes them nice is you can get up real close to the screen in those and it doesn't really matter. Like you could basically sit mm-hmm. second row in any movie theater in a recliner seat and kind of be okay. Like you might have to like look around at the edges, but yeah. we're getting off topic a little bit. You might miss a couple of intellectual properties if you sit that close, but Ready Player One, let's break it down like this. Let's get into it. There's three main set pieces and for each of those set pieces, our protagonist Wade Watts gets a key and he's trying to unlock the three keys to get the Easter egg to take control of the video game world that this film is set in. So it's about 80% CGI in the video game world, I'd say, 20% in the real world. Um, and that first main set piece, Pat, I think you even like messaged me about this. You said, man, yeah, see it in IMAX for this scene alone, the race scene. Um, so what we get in the mo- Unbelievable. what we get in the movie is it's like a literal race where you got to like drive your car down a track. Um, and there's like all these like monsters that you've seen before in it. What, what did you think about that? And is it the same as in the book different than the book? Um, so that was probably my favorite scene of the whole movie just because, and somebody mentioned it to me, uh, afterwards, like the reason why it was so intense is because there was absolutely no music once the race kicked off. And I loved that. That's a good just point. The hearing, hearing all the just the engine sounds and the crashing of the cars, and then that one part where they go under the bridge and the subway comes out of me. You can hear just like the screeching of the rails and everything. Like, and then when King Kong's just tracking him down, that was so like, especially seeing it in IMAX is so loud and so intense. But comparing it to the book, like I, we kind of talked about it right before we started recording. Um, Almost all three of the challenges that he has to do, that the avatars have to do to get the keys in the movie are completely different from the book. In the book, the first challenge is he actually has to play the old school arcade game Joust against this giant, uh, like, undead king from a Dungeons and Dragons, um, whatever, module. And then after he beats him, he actually has to go to James Halliday's old school home, which you end up seeing at the at the end of the movie. And he actually has to play through the movie War Games. And he actually has to act out all of Matthew Broderick's characters, like moves and lines and all that <laughs> shit. So he has to play through a full two-hour movie. Then he gets the first key. So it's as you can see, it's completely different. Which I, 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 I kind of understand why they did it, because like, It'd be weird. I don't know if they couldn't couldn't get the properties to war games or something like that, but it, it does make it more like accessible to anybody and just like a fun action scene instead. But I don't know. I was kind of looking forward to seeing the the undead king, um, Asera Rack, and him playing joust against him. But I was okay with the with the swap. Man, I guess I can see it because like Spielberg's probably like, we got a two hour movie already. If we put a two hour movie inside a two hour movie, we got <laughs> we got a gone with the wind right now. Uh, Mikey, okay, I like the race. I like the way it looks. I thought it actually was a pretty exciting start to the movie. I mean, you do have like fifteen minutes of exposition at the beginning of the movie, which is necessary a hundred percent necessary but it also gets a little bit boring yeah it's still a lot and then we but we get to the race and like mikey for me the reason that i thought this was bullshit is we used to play a shit ton of racing games together burnout in particular and then the first fucking Mm -hmm. shit you do is you drive the car backwards to wreck into other cars that's like the first thing you try (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about the race scene mikey uh i agree with pat i thought it was the strongest 
uh, trial of the movie, at least, if not the best scene. Um, I mean, they kind of sucked me in because he's he's driving the Back to the Future car, and it looks amazing because God, it, was incredible. it looks like it's Ugh. brand new or whatever. I don't know. It's all CGI, but it looks like it's brand new. And the... What, what, what was the chick's name? She was driving the bike from Artemis. the anime Akira. Artemis. Yeah, and it Artemis was with fucking badass. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's got all the stuff that I already like in it. I like Akira, and I like Back to the Future, and they had the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and stuff like that. So, it was a pretty strong scene, but, yeah, like Pap said, right off the bat, we get, what, 15, 20 minutes of exposition, so... And it's like me jumping into a story I have absolutely nothing about, know nothing about, because I went into this completely blind at, to the story. That's what's hard about the whole like exposition thing, because yeah, there he literally has to set up an entire, yeah, not just one world, two, like a future dystopian world where the, everything sucks, mm-hmm. but he also has to set up this entire virtual world where you can literally do anything, and it's it's like. How do you do that without literally just a voiceover? And I, I th- or it's going to take half the movie for them to show everything, you know? I think the thing that I hated most about the beginning exposition was he said mankind had just, like, given up on solving the world's problems. So then they had, everybody had just invested all their free time into hunting these Easter eggs. They had just completely given up on Earth. So they're just all out on trying to get money it seemed like a waste of time See, like, it, yeah in the book it, in the book it makes it seem like it's more just like there's like a section of the population that that is obsessed with it and then like the world just kind of keeps going on mm-hmm. until like the shit starts going down and they start finding the keys but yeah i i understand that see that makes more sense in the book and the movie everyone's just like fuck it we're giving up on our lives we're all gonna move to columbus ohio every single person in the and world that's another that's another small difference uh in the book he actually lives in oklahoma city and the stacks are in oklahoma city but he doesn't move to columbus until after they blow the stacks up and he like i'll just brush over real quick he like goes and gets a new identity and like a fake identity and he moves to columbus and i'll explain more later because it kind of connects with a different part of the movie but yeah yeah so but like the scenes in the stacks which are just kind of like trailers stacked on top of each other and kind of like a tenement looking type thing uh uh ghetto slum type you know rough neighborhood but uh do we lose mikey there yeah, we lost Mikey so. there. All right, that's a cool. Mikey will join back in. But yeah, so the stacks are like these slum tenement type things. Uh, but man, the way that it's shot, it's just boring. And I get why he did that. Like, but every time they're in the stacks, I just want to get back to the oasis. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think that was that was part of it too. Like, the world's supposed to be shit, so it's kind of like, and everybody legit wants to spend their time in this virtual world. So I think that was part of it too because it it makes. The audience. I know. I, I've read some reviews where like a lot of people were interested in in the real world stuff, but I was one of the few, or like one of the ones that was like, "All right, give me back to the oasis. Like, I want to see this." I haven't been that invested in like CGI stuff since probably Avatar or seeing Avatar in theaters at least. Yeah, exactly. I'm usually the opposite. Like, usually CGI stuff just like gives me a headache, and I'm like, 
I want exactly. some real stuff. But it is the complete opposite. Like every time we're in the the stacks or in Columbus, Ohio, it's like this this shit's kind of boring. <laughs> I want to get back to the the race and stuff. But right, yeah, we'll see if uh see if Mikey might join back in or not. He might be in the Oasis right now uh, himself. Little <laughs> <laughs> game, but yeah. So I think that we should also explain why in 2045 everyone's into 80s pop culture, and that's because. In order to solve the riddle that uh, James Halliday threw out there, they had the players of the future game had to sort of unlock his psyche, and he was this ultimate like '80s nerd who's into like all of the main intellectual properties from the '80s, so, like your Star Treks, your video games, your everything like that, and apparently also The Shining, uh, which was a 1980 movie. Um, but this scene was pretty different than the book. Two, right do you want to explain real quick what happens in the book in this part so in the book the second challenge is has nothing to do with um with the movie i believe i'm i believe the second challenge is he has to do something with the band rush he has to like <laughs> perform a guitar solo from one of the the really long songs in one of their albums and then uh then he ends up playing a an old, another old school arcade game that's in like um anorak's like office or something and and it becomes like a big 3d version of the game instead of like you know the 2d atari style but yeah so it literally has nothing to do with the shiny i think possibly the reason they did that is they kind of threw that there in there instead of like the whole war games simulation because it's similar like they go into an actual movie instead of actually like performing everything from the movie they just kind of got to figure stuff out in there but yeah, I thought it was really cool how how they they basically recreated the Overlook and just put the avatars right in there. Not they didn't make the Overlook look CGI at all. It looked like it was straight out of the movie. I thought that was like very creative, mm-hmm. very cool. The whole every I've seen it three times, and every time the theater the crowd is just like you can tell like kind of the air just goes out of the room once you they go into that first room and that first shot them walking down the stairs just is like oh my gosh this is so cool yeah big shining yeah, spark the, the theme yeah. <laughs> yeah that part was really solid to me and i think that like because i'm trying to like <laughs> this movie is is a head scratcher for me in a couple of ways um mostly because i i still understand why steven spielberg did this movie i mean i do on a couple I levels either. i do on a couple levels i mean because they do they praise they praise stephen king or stephen king Steven Spielberg a lot like in the book. I mean, he he he's created Jaws and all these like ET, all these quintessential like eighties adventure movies and exactly, yeah. pop culture and geek movies. So it's like I understand why he like people would want him to direct it, but like yeah, I don't I don't know what he specifically saw that was so appealing. But I mean, I'm I'm glad he did it. I mean, but. you got to think he's got to have like this team of people who are like reading these YA books cuz Steven Spielberg's not reading The Hunger Games or Harry Potter trying to figure out, you know, what his next movie is right, going to be. Right, Someone's right. probably like, "Hey, this kind of reminds me of you," but I really see this shining sequence as like probably his contribution to the film as far as like I, an yeah, idea. Yeah. Like and he's been known to like fuck with cubic properties before like the whole ai yeah, thing yeah, I've, i heard some yeah i heard some about that too yeah so <laughs> yeah that was like an unfinished kubrick film that he ended up finishing so it's like steven spielberg loves fucking with dead stanley kubrick's properties but yeah i watched <laughs> do you know you watch jeremy johns on youtube i do i didn't see his review of this though 
No. I watched his review and he was basically he's like, dude, that scene was just cookie cutter platter straight for the critics. Like mm. he was, they did like an impression of the critics, like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Like how dare they? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, yeah, I I think that was a pretty good scene. And then I thought the gag at the end of that scene where the um, what is it, IOI? Is that the name of the evil company? Yeah. yeah. Where those guys go in, and we get that shot of all of them freaking out. Like, that made me laugh. That was great. And I got a big laugh. That was the great. Too, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say high marks. And then, that. yeah, just the whole part of, of H not realizing or not really seeing it and not knowing it's a scary movie, and then following the little girls and, like, mm-hmm. going right up to the elevator door. Like, everybody in the theater knows that all the blood's going to come out and. With the old lady and slash the hot naked lady, that was so funny. I'll say I'll say this though is that that scene maybe could have been paced a little bit better because like, like yeah, you, a little bit. Like you were saying, like when H goes in there like the first time, like he goes into room two three seven and the door closes behind them and then you see the number, big laugh every time. But then they go oh, yeah. back into room two thirty seven. He's like, I don't know if we should go back in. You know what I mean? Like you only need to do the joke once, to me. Yeah, for right. Me, but. I think that kind of. I was I was really hoping to see a shot of, of like a Jack Nicholson shot, because like they show his legs, like when he's chasing him through the, the the maze. But I was hoping just to see like a little quick glimpse. Can you guys hear me? Oh oh. Oh, oh money's back gosh. from the Oasis. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. What? All right, you guys. Yeah, you guys <laughs> done re- with the podcast? Jeez, my he bad. Zeroed out and you respond. You got an extra life. I'm back. No, no, no. We just got done talking about the shining part. You got any thoughts on that, money? Is he back? Is he back? Mikey. So then that brings us to the third set piece that we got. The the kind of final battle. Um, so this is in a castle from Dune, I think it is, in the movie. And No, it's uh it's it's just uh I don't know what if the castle like that they picked was supposed to be based off something, but it's it's supposed to be like uh James Halliday's uh, avatar. Anorak is supposed to be his castle, but it's just like on that like planet Doom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, in the book, it's on a completely different planet. But that, I mean, they just did that because they talked about that planet earlier in the movie. But and this is kind of like just this whole scene is just the Spielberg wet dream of a sequence, just a freaking all out visual assault almost like george lucas in the prequels-esque so dense so much to look at like tons of characters tons of shit going on stuff flying everywhere and then the whole the whole idea is they gotta pick the right video game and then not beat it but do like a secret easter egg within that video game right um yeah i i like that was that's the only part of the the three challenges in the movie that is the same from the book is the fact that the last game is adventure and it's it is about the guy who created the first easter egg in a video game and that's how they actually win mm-hmm. but that's the only part of the three challenges in the movie that is the same from the book and then does the book have that stuff at the end where they're like they they beat it and they go in and then it's kind of like a it's almost like the Mr. oh jesus christ <laughs> You sound like a robot. I can hear you, but you, yeah, you're <laughs> lagging hard. Yeah. Can you hear us? That's the most important thing. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. All, All right, right. Well. All right. Now you sound normal. Yeah. What do you right, think cool. about the shining scene, Mikey? The shining scene? Uh, mm-hmm. 
I know a lot of people hate it because it, like, ripped a classic just scene and setting from The Shining, but... See, that's... I've heard everybody loved that scene. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool, honestly. Uh, I've only seen The Shining, like, once because it's fucking terrifying, so... I'm, like, not so attached to the scene, but I thought it looked pretty cool. That might be a movie that might be kind of cool to get remade, because that building is still, like, exactly the same, and it looked... Eventually they will. Yeah, it looked pretty awesome to me, so... I can't complain about that. One more thing I want to say about the Shining scene, then we'll get on to, like, the last battle, but, like, I was surprised in that whole course of that scene. Like, I was wondering, like... What are they going to be able to show? What are they not going to be able to show? Like, they show, like, the old naked lady, but they don't show her, like, anything, like, R-rated. Like, they barely cover that up. And then they go, like, pretty much all out with the blood in the elevator scene, which is one of the most... Yeah, that was intense. That's one of the most graphic sequences from the movie. I mean, like, they, they go to all the most graphic sequences in the movie. Like, I can't believe they had that blood gushing in a PG-13 movie. <laughs> And the fact that it, it wasn't just that scene too, it just kept, like it kept going. Like they were stuck in their H was stuck in the blood, like floating around. Like <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, I guess it's because it's the Oasis, and because it's directed by a guy named Steven Spielberg. They just gotta rate it whatever they, <laughs> the way he tells them to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so and then Mikey, we were just talking a little bit about the final battle, and then it's kind of a an all-out George Lucas assault on the senses, like so dense. <laughs> So much going on in every frame. What did you think about the final battle? This is where things get like kind of tough, like CGI-wise, because a battle is super hard to do because it just looks like a thousand tiny things running all over the screen if it's not very good. And I think it looked... I mean, there's like so many different characters and stuff. They're all different sizes that it looked good enough. It didn't all look like one jumbled mess. But I think this scene had the coolest scene in the whole movie is like the Gundam flying and then swings his sword out and it like goes shing or whatever. That, that part was like amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they should totally make like a whole Gundam movie because that would be badass. But I I think the whole battle scene, it didn't look terrible because I mean, if it looks bad, it just looks like a thousand gray dots running all over a screen. So everything was kind of recognizable. To me, yeah, I want to know like if this is new technology that they were using for this movie or what, because yeah, the CGI was amazing. And the budget was like 175 million, so they were going all out for. I mean, I don't even know how, like, how much dude, of that was all right, all right, all right. rights to stuff. So that 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 scene where uh, they they like fake out Sorrento and he, he's still in the Oasis, but he thinks that he's not, and they like have him held up with guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I knew something was up because, like, Ty Sheridan or, or Wade, like, his face looked so weird. And it reminded me of Justice League. I was like, yo, his <laughs> face looks like like Superman. But, like, it was supposed to look bad. It was, like, I was uh, just laughing so hard because I was like, man, Justice League. And that when you said the budget, uh, that makes me so laugh, laugh even harder just because like, they had a $300 million budget and they couldn't even fix that. Ty Sheridan's got to grow a mustache for the new X-Men movie, and they weren't going to let him yeah. <laughs> do this the hard way. But, but uh, yeah, I was reading uh, Letterboxd reviews uh, just talking about that final battle, and, and there was one, one woman, I don't even know her name, her username. She wrote a half-star review, and the only thing she wrote was, like, in the Iron Giant, 
he says, I am not a gun. And this movie literally makes him a gun. <laughs> That's all she wrote. I am not a gun. <laughs> so I, I can see how like people might get a little bit butthurt if their intellectual properties were, were not... But at the same time, like it's not it's not the Iron Giant. It's somebody controlling a thing that it looks like the Iron Giant. You know, like Mm -hmm. I I understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, it's like, come on, yeah. Well, like the thing with the rules of the universe, how is she just building an Iron Giant? Everybody was paying for stuff with this internet money, and she was just building this massive weapon. Well, yeah, I I think uh, they. They don't really mention that in the book either, I don't think. But um, what I got from it is that she builds stuff for other people and gets paid for it, mm. and that's how she was doing it. But also, did you get? Were you surprised by the reveal that H is a chick? Mm. Uh, or did the voice kind of give it away? I knew the voice like, when I went, from Master of None. The voice kind of gave it away, but at the same time, they also in, like had her on promotional posters, like with her avatar. I was like, that's fucking lame. Also, she's like way older than all of those kids. She's like an adult. She's she's on Master of None. Like she's Aziz's best friend on Master of None. She's like right way older. I just thought it was kind of funny, but so so to go back to that whole like Wade uh, moving to Columbus later in the book. That kind of leads into the third key slash the final battle because. In the book, instead of Artemis going into a loyalty center, it's actually Wade. So when when he moves to Columbus and sets up this new identity, he like racks up all this debt on purpose. And his plan is legit to get himself indentured and go into the like one of these loyalty centers and basically get himself in there so he can hack away like he hacks into the computer and then eventually Luckily, he's like, yeah, if this doesn't work, I'm going to be in prison for life, basically. But he, like, hacks it so where the shield that's around the whole castle, it's going to drop, like, at a certain time on a certain day. So he gives himself, like, a, like 48 hours or something to go, like, send out that big message to the Oasis and build the army. But, yeah, I thought that was, like, I was worried about that, too, because, like, from the trailers, you could tell the movie's going to be way different. And I was like, they better have that scene where he, like goes into IOI and is behind, behind enemy lines essentially I'm glad they put it in there but I kind of wish it would have been Wade I think it would have been a little bit cooler mm. I understand why they needed Parsifal like he's the star like he needs to be in the forefront he can't be like essentially in jail you know right yeah and that's that plot that you were saying is gonna take more time gonna make things a little bit more complicated too yeah and I feel like this movie is just like it's tough to get in those three different challenges and set up the world and have a satisfying conclusion, which Mikey, all right, let's let's try and decipher between me and Mikey what we think happened at the end, and then we'll let Pat explain it to us. Like, from from what I can understand, Simon Pegg was a robot. I don't know, like, what he has. This to, is gonna blow your mind how different it is when I tell you what he has to do with anything. Uh, but Simon Pegg's a robot, and he was somehow involved in the creation of the Oasis and has been watching over them the whole time. And then he just kind of like shows up at the end. Uh, money. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Like, I was so confused by his appearance. So Simon Pegg, was he try? was he upset that he didn't get like part of this company when 
uh, what's his face died is that he helped Wade out but he was also uh, kind of upset with him throughout the flashbacks that they were looking at it's 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 hard for me to like, try to explain this to you because literally like none of this happens in the book like, none of it mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's not like I was telling Drew or uh, Pap sorry if I ruined your uh, your incognito <laughs> persona um, spoiler man <laughs> the ruse is up um, in the book uh, well first off in the book none of the avatars like. Like he does literally the how, how the book ends is he meets Artemis face to face and they like talk for the first time in person. That's literally the very end. He's like, for the first time, I didn't feel the need to go into the oasis, you know, kind of lame. But so, yeah, he doesn't meet her until the very, very end. Um, and then throughout the book, um, Ogden Morrow, who is Simon Pegg's character, gets mentioned as like, he also has a very powerful avatar, just like Halliday and Anorak, but he doesn't really hang around. He kind of like sticks to the shadows, and and basically James Halliday made him promise to like help keep the integrity of the game. So basically, he's there to make sure IOI doesn't win and mm-hmm. do all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. But in the book, the party scene—it's it, it, like branches down to everything from the movie. In the book, the party scene where him and Artemis go to the club and they go dance and shit, that's actually supposed to be Ogden Morrow's, like, birthday party, <laughs> like, for his avatar's birthday party. So it's supposed to be this big, like, prestigious event, and them two get invited because they're, like, the first two on the scoreboard. And then the IOI comes and shoots them up. And so, yeah, like, Ogden Morrow plays a way bigger role. And in the end, like, I feel like I'm just talking my ass off, but no, it's, there's so much different. Yeah. In the end, like, he invites, like, Do- or Daito, or actually, that's, Daito dies in the book. He, he before the, even the final battle, he gets thrown off of a roof by, like, in real life what? by IOI. They break into his fucking apartment and they, they throw him off the roof. Because they're basically planning on killing all, like, the book's a little bit darker than the movie, obviously. Um... What, so, what was IOI trying to do with the Oasis besides make a boatload of money? Were they trying to, like, destroy it or trying to monetize it? I mean, more, basically, or? yeah, they're just basically trying to, to use it to make money. Because, like, that's obviously the biggest... Like, he says it in the one one shot. He's like, this is what you had planned with the the world's greatest uh, economic investment or, or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think they just want to, like, you know, make it corporate bullshit you know well, in the book too like the oasis is more important right like they got like schools and shit in the oasis like, yeah, it's yeah more literally like wade wade goes yeah. wade goes to school in the oasis like that's that's how he goes to school but, oh see that that makes a little more sense because i just assumed they were using it for like entertainment and jerking around no 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 internet. like that that one scene um where where he's talking to where sorrento has like kind of like the uh um, what's it called? Where he invites Parzival into his office, but he's just like the avatar in there, and he's kind of like he has the guy feeding the, the pop culture references in his ear. The like he mentions the planet, and he, yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, I would love to turn all the schools on Ludus into recreations of like the Ferris Bueller School and all that shit. Yeah, so like he, that's the only mention of that planet, like Ludus. That's where like all the kids go to school. It's like. Just a planet on the oasis full of high schools. 
Yeah, but you don't get that from the movie at all. And yeah. in the movie, it's like, yeah, like well, I'm gonna get my computer charger. Keep going. Just a, is it just like a game or like a movie or like a a game or like a fun thing? Like, like it, yeah, like it doesn't have too much real big influence if it's owned by IOI or not. Like it was just a game or just a form of entertainment, not like well, educational or anything like that. Well, at the club that Pat was talking about, like fucking the one girl like rubs up on his wiener and she's like, I hope you have the wiener suit on or something. And it like, gets all red down there and stuff. It's fucking, I was like, what movie am I watching right now? That's like some rated R her shit right there. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Heard in the book that he's like banging virtual chicks left and right, isn't he? Yeah, there is this, well, what? there's a, there's a part in the book where, yeah, like he like, Basically, when he moves to the Columbus thing, he, like, he stopped being friends with H. He, like, fucks up with Artemis. So, they, like, so he, gets, he gets super depressed. And, yeah, he, there's a little part where he talks about, like, he was spending time at, like, an online brothel for a while. And then he basically was like, yeah, this is, like, glorified masturbation. So now I just jerk it the, the usual way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that brings me up to one last question i have too before we get to like who your favorite characters were and all that stuff yes or no's but who is this movie for like what what is the target demographic i get that you like liked it and stuff pat but you also read the book too like exactly it feels like it's kind of teetering like is it like a for tweens like you know what i mean like 13 year old but like some of the stuff like i feel like the video game stuff is not like grown-ups like old men won't get it but like all of the references are 80s based. So I don't know if like millennials are like that into, you know what I mean? 80s stuff. Like, yeah, who is this for? I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> it's not for Mikey. It's for Pat. It was made I specifically know, for I've Pat. I've talked to a lot of people, like a lot of different people. Or like I've gone to see it with different people and everybody that I've seen it with hasn't read the book and they've enjoyed it. But at the same time, I haven't really gotten into it with them. Like why mm-hmm. they enjoyed it. But but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who the target market is. It's an interesting choice. So, I mean, you guys got anything else before we uh, give our yes or no's? I'll let Mikey go because I got I got some a few more things. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't want to shit on this movie a whole bunch because I think the writing is really bad. But yeah, there were some so, scenes so, lines so, sure. some scenes like look really amazing though. Uh, and then other scenes I think don't look so great. Because it is, this movie is like 80% CGI, so it's not going to be uh, 100% hit rate on that. But the chase scene and like that Gundam thing flying around looked dope. So I hope that like inspires them to kind of like run with some of these ideas. Like, oh, like Gundam would be a really cool movie to reboot or I don't know, right. like maybe like, they were talking about Back to the Future rebooting sometime a couple years ago, and it's like, wow, that actually does look pretty cool when you throw a CGI DeLorean into the mix. Like, you could do a lot of stuff with that. So, but at the same know, time, I, I feel like people would be more pissed about a Back to the Future remake than like just seeing it in this, you know? Well, because unless I don't it's know. like I'm incredible, more, <laughs> I'm more pissed about this because it's like you're just mashing all of these things that were already good before and trying to write a new story out of mashing this stuff together when you could have just i know we've rebooted everything now but you could have just rebooted back to the future or done gundam or that tmnt was already rebooted 
They had all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I wish they wouldn't have picked those those Ninja Turtles. They should have picked like the yeah, cartoony the looking ones. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like a lazy way to write a movie is by mashing a bunch of IP from already well-established good movies or fun properties and then trying to trying to like wrangle them all together to make a semi-coherent storyline out of pop culture stuff it just seemed kind of really forced to me all right pat what you got okay oh man where did no i'm just kidding (laughs) um just a few more things um i really did like that scene at the end where where like ogden morrow revealed that he was a curator and he tosses him the quarter Everybody in the theater was like, well, first off, everybody in the theater, when he brings out the quarter and sees it's an extra life, was like, oh, my God. Like, that, like, blew everybody's mind. <laughs> I was like, at that point, and I was like. See when he I, flipped him the coin. I was At that point, I was like, I got a piece so fucking bad. Just give him the coin. Don't give him the coin. I don't <laughs> care anymore. End this fucking movie. But I loved that scene where, where because, like, you could tell, like, like Simon Pegg, I, I loved his performance right at the end just because, like, you could tell, like, even though him and Halliday had a falling out and stuff, like they were still best friends, and like he, you could tell, like they, he missed his friend, and and the fact that the end of the game actually was like, like it's like he regretted like losing you and and like pushing you out. Like I thought that was cool, but um, like in the book, he gets the court the extra life quarter from when it, playing a perfect game of Pac Man instead. Um, let's see, Artemis and Parzival, the relationship in the movie, I felt like. When he says I love you, I felt like a lot of like the normal audience would probably think that's really weird and rushed. But like in the book, they explain that how she has like a really popular blog and that he's been reading this shit and following her, like basically following her on social media for like three years. And he's got like the biggest crush on her. So it's like it makes sense when he finally meets her that he would fall for her right away. But like in the movie, you don't really get that vibe. Mm-hmm. You don't get the backstory. You just get that real quick. Like, holy shit, do you see who it is? Like watched all her twitch streams all this stuff and uh, uh i rock the tj miller role mm. which was super random mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um that character i rock literally has uh, like the smallest role in the book he, he he's like a student that goes to school on ludus with h i think so like he's he goes into the chat room with him and parzival every once in a while but like He's kind of known as like a guy who thinks he knows all that and like thinks he knows all this shit, but he he doesn't know nearly as much as like Wade and them. But basically, he's all he is in the book is like he just find like lets the IOI know that H and Parzival know each other, and that's like the last he's in the book. He has like no role. That's why I was very surprised when he was like basically Sorrento's like right hand man inside the Oasis. So you're saying Spielberg but, never read the book? I promise. You. Probably. <laughs> but but at the same time, it's like Ernest Klein, Ernest Klein, the author of the book, co-wrote the script. So it's like all these changes oh. were obviously okay, and like he yeah. he co-wrote it. Which I mean, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing since the writing is eh. But I'll just wrap it up because there's still more I can say. But I wish Sorrento was a little more like evil. Ben Mendelsohn's character, he was a little more like like maniacal in in the book and like just like didn't give a fuck 
Um, Dude, yeah, the, the but whole part about Ben this. Mendelsohn in this movie, he's almost like the bad guy from RoboCop. Like, he's so over the top. <laughs> I was like, is this supposed to be like and, a satire? And his fucking little, yeah. the henchman girl that he sent everywhere, yeah. she was the worst. She reminded me, like, she should have she should have been in, like, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal She was Skull. straight like Natasha. Like, like, she was so Boris over the top. and Natasha, yeah. bad girl. Look, it was so ridiculous. But, uh... Yeah, you, I mean, did I, you say your favorite scene? I thought it was fun. No, I well, I think the car chase was my favorite scene, but that or or the shining scene is great. But I don't know. Overall, I I, I loved it. I'll, I'll see it again probably. But and like I, I I saw you talking shit on Twitter, Money Mike, and I was like, <laughs> hey man, we've had this conversation before. Not move, every movie has to be the best movie ever made. Right? So, yeah, that's, so that's it's very it's true. not. It's clearly not. But yeah. it's there's, I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think it's, and it's a fun family movie. That's that's what the changes that they made. Is it a family movie? Did the most. It, I mean, it can be. I, I feel like there's something for everyone in the family, but that means there's also something that's specifically not for everyone in the family. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, I guess what I mean, family movie. I guess I mean it. Like I said earlier, kind of it reminded me of like when I say this, like don't think i'm comparing it to jurassic park but like it it reminded me of like when i watched jurassic park like like it's just like a big like epic kind of like roller coaster ride where it's just it's it's a movie that's made to see in theaters like i was telling some of my friends they need to go see it and they're like yeah i'll wait and i'm like dude like like that race the chase scene and and the last like big action sequence they're they're not the same on the small screen yeah which yeah, I'll give you that. I would have but, absolutely hated watching this at home. This would have, yeah, really like like that car scene is literally it. worth it to see it in the big screen. But yeah, I don't know. I just think it's it's a classic Spielberg fun movie, and I I, I recommend it for sure. Cool. So uh, yeah, last thing I want to ask you guys: give your yes or no, and then uh, if you do have anything anything left on on yes or no, and then uh, who is your favorite? Yes or no, and your favorite. Yeah, yeah. who's your favorite? Your favorite property. IP. I'll go ahead and kick things off. Um, Grandpa Spielberg is an interesting character in the history of film. He's always been this guy who does like the one for you, one for me type thing. And, and Pat, you brought up Jurassic Park, which I think is actually a really good comparison because in 1993, Spielberg had Jurassic Park, but he also had Schindler's, Schindler's List. List. Yeah. And so he kind of did a similar thing now where he had the post in December and like four months later he had Ready Player One, his, mm-hmm. his tentpool uh, big property. I think that almost universally people would agree that they would take Schindler's List and Jurassic Park over the post and Ready Player One. But yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. I would rather see Grandpa Spielberg make movies like this than have, us, than have him like corner me at a holiday party and tell me about American history like Lincoln or all the other movies have been making Bridge of Spies like <laughs> I want him to be fun I did have fun with it in parts but I, there's also like just like what the concept of this is is kind of like a little annoying to me it feels a little cheap I'm gonna give it a soft yes on the big screen and a no on the small screen so if you're hearing this podcast see it in theaters but if you miss that theatrical run i don't know if there's much reason to see this outside of that uh and my favorite intellectual property was 
Well, first they played a Prince song, and I got real excited. Like, oh, it's Prince. And then the dude rocks a Prince outfit, like when he's trying to decide what to wear to yeah. that club, and that was my favorite part. Like, I love that shit. So That's awesome. That was mine. Uh, Pat, we'll save you for last because it should be some positive vibes. We'll end on that. Mikey, let's, uh, let's bring us down before Pat builds us back up. What do you say? I agree with uh, the things you said about seeing it on the big screen. I think that really plays a big part in my enjoyment of the few scenes I saw that I really liked from the movie. Um, I would hate to watch this at home just because there's so much going on on screen. You kind of want to see it blown up on a huge screen. But I thought the writing was kind of really awful. And I think... The reason Spielberg got away with like Schindler's List in Jurassic Park in 93 is because it's a shared universe. Happened in the same world, so it was pretty easy to write that. Wait, what? But ready? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I just think, like we also said, is the post, the thing with the post and Ready Player One in the same year, like. You would never expect that from any other director, and I think he just kind of spread himself thin because I never want to see the post. I think that movie looks really boring, and I didn't really plan on ever watching Ready Player One because it just doesn't look like it would appeal to me too much because I'm not so crazy about 100% CGI movies, but I'll give it a soft no unless you're going to go watch it on the big screen like Pep said. Otherwise, I think you're going to really not enjoy it too much. So we got a soft, nest, uh, soft yes, no, uh, soft no. Um, one last note, Samantha Artemis's birthmark looks just like the Mexico birthmark from uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, but Pat, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say? Let's bring us home here. Oh, wait, Mikey, who's your favorite character? Did you say? Oh, I really like the Gundam okay. thing flying around. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Good choice. Yeah. Go ahead, Pat. Um, shit. Uh... I'll, obviously, I'm going to give it a yes. I'll even give it a hired yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I just... Reading... This was interesting to me because, like, I, I never really read the Harry Potter books or anything like that. So, like, this was really my first time reading a book and then having a movie made out of it that I was, like, super pumped to see. And the fact that it was so different kind of was, like, kind of weird. But at the same time, like, the fir- my first viewing of this, like, every action sequence or, like, anytime the avatars were on screen, I had, like, the biggest smile on my face. So, if you're a video game fan or a movie fan of the 80s or anything like that, you'll you'll enjoy it. If you're a Spielberg fan, you're, you'll enjoy it. But I think my favorite... Oh, also, I- this is kind of random. I wanted to say it earlier. I really like the chemistry between, like, Parzival and Artemis I thought like when they were in the Oasis they were like they were it was really believable but then like out of the real world it was kind of like it wasn't as good but anyways um I don't know what my favorite character was like the Iron Giant was awesome I loved that he gave the thumbs up when he was going into the lava it made me sad it was sad but (laughs) I think I think one of my favorite I don't know if it was my actual favorite, but this one's sticking out was because it's like a double dose. When when Parzival first walks into uh, that big ass room after he first wins the key, and everybody's like trying to take pictures of him, 
And fucking here comes Goro from Mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And first off, it's like, oh shit, it's fucking Goro. And then all of a sudden, the fucking little uh, xenomorph pops out of his chest. And then she like basically chews up the fucking skin and pops out in his arm. I thought that was super cool. So just little things like that were, were, were fun. Dude, maybe that's the thing. So, maybe yeah, if you yes if me. you put your movie in a video game, you can just do whatever the fuck you want. Like, you can have shit popping out of people's chests and blood out of the elevator. It's like, no, it's just a video game. It's not real. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was a yes for you. Uh, nice mixed bag from us. A uh, couple yeses, a couple no's, a couple not sure's. So Spoiler Man's going to tell you how you can get a hold of us. Pat. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Always good to have you on. Thanks for having it's me. T- it's been a it's while. just too bad there are any uh, big superhero movies coming out in April that we could have you back on for. <laughs> I know, man. It's unfortunate. Come on. Maybe it's not like the biggest movie of all time is going to come out or something. I wish, man. Well, we'll do- which I have yet to see. I have yet to see the trailer, for, or at least like the last trailer. So I'm like, I'm fucking nervous. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll definitely have you back for that little Marvel movie coming out at the end of the month. Uh, yeah, so indie flick. coming up soon, we got uh, Breakfast Club, hosted by Mikey Toller, who made an appearance on this episode, and then that's pretty much it for a while, so stay tuned. Spoiler Man, play us off. Yeah, Our yeah. email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme. Our number is 903-776-4507. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Please don't forget to leave us a review by searching for movie spoilers, clicking on the cereal bowl, select the reviews tab, and leave us some stars and some words. That was spoilers. Yeah, I'll give you that. I would have absolutely hated watching this album. This would have really ruined my day.